Hello, you are listening to the Divorce University Online Podcast with your hosts, Thomas and Tammy Ferreira. Thomas Ferreira here. And I'm Tammy. And uh, we have, uh, we want to get into kind of a nitty gritty topic here. Uh, We want to avoid uh, protracted court battles where the attorneys control the litigation and that begins really at the very beginning of the process. It begins at the beginning, does it? Well, you got to begin at the beginning. <laughs> and we are on episode seven today. Just uh, Episode seven, yeah. avoiding the battle, how to announce that you want a divorce. Very important. Now, this isn't, I mean, if uh, there's some wisdom here even for those who receive the announcement. So hang in there, all you uh, left spouses, of which I am one. And, yes, am I? <laughs> and uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about how to have a conversation uh, instead of blowing your case into a protracted battle. Yeah, I think the big thing with this is that this is going to set the tone. This seems like a very small decision in a lot of ways in the very beginning here. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are very angry and they're very unfamiliar with the process a lot of times or what it's going to look like. Their expectations are usually out of joint. But this decision on how you start this process is really going to go a long way in setting the tone for the rest of your case. Right. And it's it's hard to do. It's a difficult conversation. Yeah. But it's well worth having because for the very reason that you said, you want to start it off, you want to start off your process on a cooperative footing. Uh, it's going to save you money. It's going to save you a lot of grief, too. So let's start with on how we should not do the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's what happens in, in too many cases is... Yeah, left spouses sitting in his living room, uh, watching the ball game, and uh, he realizes that there's something wrong with the marriage, perhaps. But nah, you know, it's it's not something that that can't be changed, or he's hoping for something better. He doesn't really think this is. Uh, in the offing or it's always it's always been that way we've always had conflict yeah and then he gets a knock on the door one day it's a process server and the process server uh, drives up to the house in a little com. They, they always have these little compact cars. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they do a Prius or something of that nature. Yeah, and a young man in his mid twenties gets out of the car. He's got a package in his hand, and he walks up to the door, and he says, "You've been served. These are divorce papers." So the first thing that happens is that. You've, you have a, a surge of panic. Right. Fear. Runs through anxiety, your yeah. uh, veins. <laughs> and then you open it up, and the first thing in there is a summons that says, Greetings from the state of California. You have been sued. Or whatever state you live in. You need to respond within 30 days. You can't just respond by telephone. You may need to seek legal help. <laughs> and uh, and so, of course, that stokes all kinds of fear and anger and all the bad things. But yet that's what the uh, many lawyers do. Right. It's a very old school approach, which is kind of the 
common way of doing it. And I think sometimes the reason that that sounds good to people is because, um, like you said, having that conversation is difficult and it's not something that we want to do. It's not like you want to like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to go home and tell my spouse today that I want a divorce. Like nobody wants to have that conversation. It's very hard. It's painful. You're expecting anger and, you know, all those kind of normal emotions. And in a lot of ways for the leaving spouse, it kind of just sounds better. Oh, I can just go into this attorney's office, fill out the papers and then just uh, let a process server go go do my dirty work. Yeah. And and the funny thing is that this is the way we're trained as lawyers. We uh, see the problem as how do I get jurisdiction over the respondent? Because, you know, we need to, to get a divorce. We need to start this process. And so the question is, how do I get jurisdiction? Well, the only way I can get jurisdiction is to personally serve the summons and complaint on the respondent. And you can see all these really dry terms for for everybody that's, that's in the process. So can I, I'm sorry, yeah. let me just uh, translate the Latin here for a minute. Yeah. So um, the court cannot make, in, in any state, cannot make uh, orders, uh, cannot order a person to do anything unless they have what we call jurisdiction, which means power over that person. When you file, when a person files a petition in a court, the court obtains jurisdiction over that person when their petition is filed that they signed. Then the problem becomes you have to get power or jurisdiction over the other party in the case. Hence the personal service, that's where that comes in. So once that person is personally served with notice of the lawsuit, the court now has power over that person and now can order either party in the case to do things. So that's what you're talking about is, you know, if you have somebody that you think is going to avoid service or something like that, a lot of times this uh, having a little, you know, 20 something year old process server in a Prius drive up and serve them might be one of the only options because you're afraid that person's going to try to avoid it or whatever. And the court's going to have trouble getting jurisdiction. Right. But we see this, that we see everything as kind of a, a legal problem that needs to be solved. Right. Like, for example, if, uh, uh, if, if my client has moved out of the family home or has left, uh, we may be wondering about support, or we may be wondering how to get a parenting plan. If the person doesn't uh, move out, then we may be dealing with who stays and who leaves. Right. Uh, but we tend to, as lawyers, see these things in dry, objective, well, then I will file a motion with the court, and I will serve that motion, and voila, you're sitting in front of your TV and suddenly you have a court date where you have to defend, uh, you know, and, and what's at stake is is time with your kids. Right. Or your money. I mean, holy smokes, they're asking for two grand a month. I, I can't afford to pay that. So for, for I'm sorry, for what? For an apartment? Is that what you mean? Like if you're moving out? No, I mean in support. Like if you get served oh, with oh, the motion. Oh, for support. I'm sorry. Okay, so that that didn't flow through okay so so yeah so like if your support orders two thousand a month and you're thinking i can't pay that and pay all my bills right right so the first your first reaction as the receiver of of this stack of papers is to to feel like you need a defense right uh, and uh that's aka your own attorney right and and if you're if you're angry you might go for somebody who's very aggressive 
And the problem with that is that as lawyers, we're trained to control the litigation. Uh, and usually we control it in directions that make us more money by creating more conflict. Right, because it's sort of the human, the human nature of it. Yeah, and I mean, you, as we've said before, the challenge in family law is that it is a legal problem, but it's overlaid with these huge emotional problems. Right, and a lot of times the emotional problems, you know, as we said in in our last podcast in in episode six, that you you tear this apart, it leaves a jagged edge, right? And that jagged edge, that pain, is what prevents you a lot of times from problem solving. Yeah, it's difficult. That jagged edge does not go away for quite a while. I mean, in our experience, I mean, even being a step family, it's kind of right. like trying to mold that jagged edge onto a new <laughs> jagged edge. And it really takes some time to get that smoothed yeah. out and, and for it to start feeling like a unit again. All the weld marks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you you know, the thing about this type of process where you have a process server go and just serve somebody, you know, it it stokes fear in the other person. It right. stokes anger. Um, you know, you're going to have a lot of difficulty settling your case amicably and getting the other person into mediation. You know, if your case starts with having a big bomb dropped like this, because most likely this person is going to go out and go, well, I need to get an attorney and figure out what's up because I have no idea what I need to do at this point. Yeah, it really is a bomb. I remember when uh, uh, when my ex-wife announced that she was leaving, it was in a session of, of, medi- of uh, marriage counseling. Marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And my hope was, of course, that we could heal our marriage. And she obviously had other ideas. Right. Uh, but I think back on that day. Uh, and I realized that in some ways she was doing me a favor because she was firm. Uh, there was no wiggle in it. And yet uh, she did it in a context where, <laughs> where you know, when the inevitable freak out happened, uh, that uh, there was a professional there to deal, to help me deal with it. Right. Uh, so in some ways, it, it was wise to to do it that way. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, I think that she knew the uh, obviously from the legal aspect, you have a little bit of advantage because you know you were an attorney and now you do family law, and obviously you have a huge advantage in it now. But um, even before, you at least had the advantage of of having. Th- the legal knowledge and i think she probably knew that the emotional aspect was going to be the more difficult piece yeah. for you to manage and we so should ask her that having that per you think it to find she out have, if it was planned yeah i don't know that it was planned or not it may have been spontaneous uh and uh but when i think back on it because i remember the in the ensuing weeks uh, after uh, she came back first she left for a little while and then she came back and I I went through this stage where I was begging and pleading, and yeah. she was firm. Yeah. Uh, and she didn't string me on. I know that that's what your husband did. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a little different. It was like, well, we're going to try to work on it, but I'm going to move into this apartment, and yeah, I'll come up, and I'll have dinner with you and the kids, and I'll stay over occasionally when I feel like it, but 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll keep working on it and yeah. we'll kind of see how it goes. And the thing is, he moved, he moved into the apartment and he started seeing somebody. We'd already had, you know, a previous affair, but he started seeing somebody um, pretty quick. And um, I was not aware of that person's existence because I, of course, thought we were working on the marriage. And so I always say that I probably had a year and a half of like affairs and up and down and, oh, we can save it. And, oh, no, we can't. And, oh, we can save it. And, oh, no, we can't. And when that last affair happened, that's why it was kind of just the straw for me, because I'm I was just like, you know, as much as I want to save the marriage and as much as I want to honor my commitment to God, I can't. I'm exhausted and I can't be this person's doormat. I I can't save a marriage with somebody that doesn't want to save a marriage. Yeah. And I say that a lot of our really difficult mediations are like that, too. You've got a party who's trying to let the other person down easy. Yes. Because it feels like the kind thing to do. Right. I I don't think my ex-husband was being... um, well, obviously, he's being duplicitous and that he was seeing somebody else. But I think that in his mind, he was trying to ease me into the idea of it or he thought eventually I would come to acceptance or I'd be OK without him or yeah. whatever, which eventually I did. But I think if he had been firm and resolute the way your ex-wife was, I think you moved through it emotionally a lot faster. I sure did. Yeah. I, I, sure I mean, did. I think that's true. There's a difference in men and women also. Um, but I do think that. It was because she was just firm and there was no going back. And so really, if you're the person that's leaving, the kindest thing you can do for the other person is, you know, acknowledge, hey, I know this is hard. I know this hurts you. You know, I'm sorry for that, but I'm not changing my mind, you know, kind of thing. So really, I think if you're the leaving spouse, uh, you're probably you've probably been thinking about this for a while, and you're probably of the two of you, the one that can be more objective and the one that can be less emotional. Right, because you've had some time to process. If you're the leaving spouse, and I, no matter how many cases we see, I, we've never seen a case where there wasn't a leaving and a left spouse. Um, but it, sometimes they'll say, "Oh no, it's." But eventually, as you're working with the couple, at some point, yeah, the emotions out come out, who, and you know who it is. Whom, yeah. <laughs> but if you are the leaving spouse, you've had some. You know, you didn't just come to this decision overnight. I mean, I know you make jokes about that, too, about uh, your ex-wife being like, oh, it's Tuesday. I don't want to be married anymore. I'm sure the decision didn't come like that for her. Um, It's usually over a process and you're frustrated and you're trying to fix the things in the marriage and your needs aren't getting met or whatever's going on. And you're processing all of those emotions before you get to the point where you decide, "Okay, this is it. I have to take some kind of action. So you are the calmer one, even though you may still be angry and have some issues around it. When you make that announcement, that other person is calm and their emotions are going to become when they realize there really is this severe problem, they're going to become the one that's very emotional. So of the two of you. The leaving spouse is usually the person that's calmer at this stage. Yeah, it's kind of like Kubler-Ross, right, in the the five stages of grief Mm -hmm. when you find out you have a life-ending illness. Right. And uh, a lot of times losing your marriage is like that. Yes. And uh, the person who is leaving is already resigned to the fact that they're losing the marriage. They've already gone through the stages of anger and fear and bargaining and all the rest of the the Kubler-Ross steps. Uh, I think that on that day when uh, when she announced that she was leaving, I went through 
the first three of them simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> the first three stages. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was angry. I was hurt. I remember saying to her, I'm going to hire this mean, bad lawyer, and I'm going <laughs> to make sure that you regret this decision for the rest of your life. And I, <laughs> I, Well, and that's a good point because yeah. – I think we have to be prepared. You have to be prepared for that as the leaving spouse, right? Yeah. You have to be prepared that this person is going to feel those feelings and they're they're going to make all these threats. And people do things when they're they say things when they're in this state that they don't mean. Yeah, and to fast forward, uh, you know, it's ten years down the road. We've had Emily and her new family over for Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinner, and it's really uh, we've we've transition to high cooperation uh, but in the beginning uh, I was uh, to use a phrase I was tripping yeah I, I was just I was out of my mind uh, I couldn't work and I did make threats yeah and really if you're the leaving spouse you can't put too much stock in that right you, well you have to give them the time to process because you've had the time they haven't and now they need that time I mean, I remember also going into work at one point and I remember going into my office, closing the door and essentially sitting there and crying the entire day because I couldn't, I just couldn't think I couldn't do anything. Right. So you got to have this extremely difficult conversation and I think it's a good idea to prepare for it, Mm -hmm. to, to, you know, decide in advance, first of all, what your spouse's likely reaction is going to be. Right. Uh, you know this person very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, uh, to a certain extent, uh, you have to see this from their point of view uh, so that you can do it in a way that's firm but compassionate. Right. As opposed to the screw you, I'm leaving. Right. <laughs> well, and screw you, I'm leaving usually comes when you're mad. Yeah. Right. You've been thinking about this. You've been processing it. Now you have this big fight and you throw out, you know, I'm I'm done. I want a divorce. I want out, you know, whatever. And that's, again, a very bad way to make the announcement and is probably going to cause them to (laughs) find a mean attorney or or do something of that nature. It's not going to get you off on a cooperative footing. Yeah. And, and I know that you're having a lot of conflict. If you're going through this and you're still residing in the same house and you're at a very, very early stage, mm-hmm. in all likelihood, you are having conflict with that other person. Right. So if you wait until you're calm and see it from the other person's point of view, uh, then when you have the conversation, I would say one of the main rules is don't hash over the things that are wrong with the, with the relationship. Yeah, all your litany of complaints. Right, yeah. I mean, you've made a decision, and you're firm in that decision. Uh, We recommend, uh, there's something that I learned from a little book uh, from the Harvard Negotiation Project. Uh, It's called The And Stance. And it's kind of an attitude that refuses to be adversarial. It says... Uh, you know, we've been having a lot of conflict lately, and uh, I feel that the relationship's over, and I've decided to uh, seek a divorce, and 
I know this comes as a shock to you, and I know that this is going to be hard on the kids, and we'll have to have a conversation, and I'm not changing my mind, and, and, and. And I want to go to mediation. <laughs> and and you know, we need to but, find a mediator, and, or maybe that conversation comes later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm kidding. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, most people's tendency is to use the word but, you know. You know, I'm, you know, I've decided that, um, you know, the marriage is over, but I know that you're not going to want a divorce, you, you know, but I know that the kids are going to, that's the word that automatically comes up as a human being, the word, but, and right. I think that the point of that particular part of the book, as you related, I haven't read it, is that, um, you just substitute and every time you feel the need to say but. And right. the reason for that is because as soon as you say but, it puts the other person on the defensive. You need to butt out. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're trying to avoid is, yeah. is putting the other person on the defensive. And so you just substitute and in there every time you would want to say but, and it comes out with a, a different context. So what if I say... What if what if you're the leaving spouse and and I respond by saying, "Well, you never came to therapy. You you, you know we haven't tried therapy. You need to come to therapy first. And what's your reaction? Uh, my reaction is, I understand that you think more therapy would help, and. If I thought it would, I would be willing to go and participate. And I've decided that therapy is not going to solve the problems at this point. And we've been in therapy for a long time and we've had multiple therapists. And at this point, I'm not willing to I'm done. put in that effort and I want to end the relationship. Right. And what I like about what you did there is you started off by acknowledging what I said. Right. And that's part of the key to having a difficult conversation is that the person who who is the object of that communication has to feel like they've been heard. Right. And they're, you, know, you have to honor their feelings because you know, if, if your attitude is, oh, get over it, yeah. that's going to drive you into conflict. Yeah, it's amazing how many times people come in for mediation and we have one person that has been uh, feeling unheard in that way. And a lot of times we'll start talking about, um, you know, kind of legal aspects of the case or resolution of the case or whatever. And we're just not get anywhere, not get anywhere. And suddenly that person just has this litany of, <laughs> you know, verbal verbalization that they've not been able, they felt like they haven't been able to get out. And once they've kind of gotten that out and they've gotten some of their anger out or they've cried or they've whatever that process was for them, you know, a lot of times it's not that we've solved any of that or that anything changed. It's just that they got all of that off their chest and now they don't feel emotionally blocked by it and right. we can move forward with the mediation. Right. It's the emotions that, that block. Right. It, it sure does. The emotions block the, the, the ability to talk objectively about problem solving. Right. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot again. Oh, no. So, so here's my... I passed the first one, and I was worried. <laughs> now you're going to give me another one. Okay. Uh, my reaction to your announcement is you're going to pay for this. I'm going to... I'm, uh, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm, 
I'm going to hire the the meanest lawyer I can find, and you're never going to see your kids again. So I hope you're satisfied. Well, if I'm really ticked off or if I'm this calm like I am now, which one of those? Well, again, I think you have to bite back yeah, your first impulse. Yeah, you have to be the calm one if you're the one leaving. Uh, my reaction to that, if I'm the leaving spouse, would be, I know you're really upset and I'm really sorry I'm not trying to hurt you and I want what's best for our children and I know you do too and I want us to both be able to be involved. I want us to preserve as much of our finances as we can in this process I, and I don't want to have this huge nasty battle and I care about you and I want you to be able to be a good dad to the kids. And, you know, I really think that we need to get in front of a mediator or somebody that can help us with this. Right. And and I think, too, that that maybe it's a good idea to keep the conversation short in the at, at first and give them time to process. Yeah. And I'm just trying I'm trying to part of what I'm doing is I'm not saying you have to say all those things. I'm just saying some of those things may apply and you can use a couple of them or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But basically what I'm trying to avoid is, is the, the battle. Right. You know, we're trying to avoid the situation where somebody runs to uh, an attorney out of either anger, right. uh, A desire for revenge or out of fear, the desire for protection. And those are to me, the dominant things that, people feel when they receive the announcement yeah and people tend to you know we've talked about this before i think but people tend to want to get into the logistics of what's happening so you know the 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 person that's angry might say well i'll go to mediation but i'm only going if you give me 50 percent custody you know, our automatic... I like res- the face you made when you said that. <laughs> you have to do the face you- to get the sound out of your voice. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the other person's tendency is going to be, well, that's ridiculous. You don't get home before 8 p.m. and you work most Saturdays. How in the world are you going to have 50% custody? That's what we want to say. And, no. and, and you can't get into negotiating those things. You have to do that in a controlled setting. And so what you have to say to them is, I know it's really important to you to be as involved as possible with the kids. And I would like to have someone help us put together someone with experience help us put together a schedule that will accomplish that goal right you know and it's not that you're saying you can have 50 percent, but it's not that you're saying you you can't it's right Right. it's just saying okay i'm not gonna get down into this level with you but we're gonna figure out solutions to what we both want and yeah and when i think back on it emily was very generous too in the beginning with the timeshare with the kids uh, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of fighting about where, who was going to have them, and and what the schedule was going to be because she was generous with me, and that's hard. I think that's hard to do for a lot of moms, particularly. Well, especially when the children are little. Yeah, I think that is, and you know, kudos to her that she was able to do that and see the value of, you know, your role as the dad and. It enabled her. She went back to school. She did things and it took some of the pressure off of her because, you know, now she, you know, she had somebody that took the kids half the time. 
So, um, yeah, I think it was it worked out well for both of you. And also you were kind of resolute because you knew what you wanted going in. And I don't think you, yeah. you I don't think you said again, you were working with Brooke yeah. and I don't think you said I want 50 percent. That's what's fair. I mean, you didn't do that. You said, look, I think the best parenting plan for the kids is maybe a week on week off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, would you like week one or week two? You know, that that's kind of what you did. And you, you didn't get into this, you know, right. percentage discussion and all that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. There were there were ways in which and to be fair, I mean, there was some nasty between us. Of course. And I remember her standing at the top of the stairs, uh, uh, you know, telling me that, uh, you know, I, I, I remember shouting up to her that. I don't want this divorce. This is all you're doing. And she said, well, at least I'm getting rid of you. you yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which I'm sure was how she felt at that time. So. Right. And we don't recommend that, that, that the conversation go that way, but it, it can uh, and it's normal. Well, the episodes of conflict are normal. And I think what we're trying to say is, okay, you're going to have these episodes of conflict, but don't make your divorce announcement or or negotiate things about a divorce or do any of that in that type of conflict if you're having conflict recognize it's emotional try to disengage from it and then try to come back when you're calm and have your wits about you to have a serious conversation about the divorce if that's what you're going to do because honestly when you're having conflict and you're angry and you say to someone well I just want a divorce. Yeah. That person doesn't take that seriously anyway. Right, right. Because they know you're angry. And a lot of times we'll have couples in where one person says, well, I said it a hundred times. Right. Well, yeah, but, you know, according to the other person, you said it in these various states of anger. And so nobody nobody right. knew to take it seriously. Right. They interpret the other party interpreted it not as a, an announcement, but as a jab or as a barb. Right. Uh, and uh, and that dovetails into and I think you really if you if you're deciding to divorce, you have to realize that divorce is a life changing event. It's something that that is going to rock your world. It's going to rock their world, and it's going to rock your kids' world. Mm-hmm. So if there's any hope, I encourage you to pursue that hope. Get some counseling. There is healing out there. Uh, we have uh, something uh, that we refer people to uh, by Michelle Weiner Davis. Uh, it's called divorcebusting.com. Yeah. Michelle uh, Weiner Davis, yeah. And, and she has lots of resources on saving marriages. And it's really, I, I commend her work uh, because she really believes that almost every marriage can be saved uh, in, in some fashion. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on on the website. They have a message board, and I spent a lot of time on that when I was in a phase where I was trying to save my marriage. Right. Um, You know, and if you so it doesn't work then. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't work for me. I I won't say it doesn't work for everyone. I mean, I think the well, it takes two to tango. That's right. I mean, I think if you're if you have two people that want to save the marriage, I think that that's possible. In Michelle's theory, is that even just one person can save a marriage and I think that's true I mean I honestly think that if I 
had waited it out and not that I had continued to be a doormat, but if I had just separated, not started the divorce process, not started seeing anybody else, not doing any of those things. Um, I, in, in hindsight, I honestly think that eventually he might have come back around. It would have taken several years. Um, but I think it might've happened, but I wasn't willing to put my life on hold for the hope that somebody who cheated on me three times was going right. to come around. So, <laughs> And we're not, we're not here to make you feel guilty if you're making the announcements. I just want to say, you know, make good and sure that this is the course that's absolutely necessary uh, because there is heartache down the road no matter what you do. Yeah. Uh, and that'll help you to be resolute because you'll have made a firm decision because it's not kind to keep that person strung along uh, thinking there's hope when there isn't. Right. And it's also not a good idea to make uh, threats such as divorce in your marriage just because you're angry right. when that's really not a trigger that you're willing to pull. All that does is decrease the trust between people and uh, between you and your partner and make it even harder so right i wanted to relate one more thing before we close uh and uh um oh i forgot what it was oh it went out of your brain yeah okay well the other thing that i was gonna say is um you know if you are Christian, we I have um, we also have another source. I mean, you don't have to be Christian to use this source, but they are a faith based source. So I just want to be clear about that. Um, our friends um, Tony and Elisa DiLorenzo have uh, a one extraordinary marriage yeah. um, podcast and Facebook page and website, and, and it's really really good. And it's uh, they do a lot of work with people who are on the brink of divorce and who are still, you know, standing on the edge of that precipice kind of going, okay, we really want to save our marriage if at all possible. Um, And so they work with couples um, and do coaching and have some different products and a podcast. So uh, if you have a chance, check them out. One Extraordinary Marriage is really good too. Yeah, that is a good resource. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember one of the things that that I learned when I went to the high conflict class early is – it was a hard lesson for me to learn as the left spouse, but for you spouses that are getting left, uh, when they're done, they're done. I, I found that if you want any hope at all, it lies in doing what we said before, which is moving towards your new life. Because the harder you beg and plead, the faster they run. Yeah, there's always a. I was told once there's always a runner, and it might have been Anne again that told me that there was. There's always a runner and a chaser. Yeah, <laughs> and if you're the one that's chasing, then the other person then know that the other person is running. Right, and the only thing you can do is to try to turn is to stop chasing is to turn the table on right. that and to try to stop chasing because you know you want them to pursue you and that's a lot of what michelle weiner davis's book divorce busting and she's got her second one was divorce remedy and that's essentially what it's about is start getting your own life fill your own life right Uh, you know if your spouse isn't interested at the moment but you're hoping they will be start building your own life and doing things you enjoy let them just be who they're going to be whatever that's going to look like do your own thing and that will inherently make you more attractive to them because it's human nature right so 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 the superpower really 
is to start off this process on a cooperative footing that's a, a more compassionate footing, but at the same time to be firm uh, and to recognize that you're dropping a pretty big bomb. Uh, and the other superpower is to move on with life, to start the process of creating your new life and uh, in that way, you're going to attract all kinds of good things into your life. Right. And setting that cooperative tone in the beginning will carry you a long way in the rest of your divorce. It will help build a new trust between you and your spouse. You may not trust each other as husband right. and wife anymore, but you're going to create this new trust that says we're going to follow through on what we say. We're going to work to reach agreements. Right. We're going to cooperate on the kids. It's amazing how that can happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it really is. I mean, because I think that's the level that we've reached with our ex-spouses. So you... Um, uh, you know, again, always steer the conversation away from lawyers and towards mediation. Right. So, so what are we giving away today? Today, episode seven's freebie is uh, you can get a free video uh, from Thomas on having the conversation. Um, so just like we gave you the the and stance tip, he's got a couple of others. And so um, he will guide you through a little more detail on having that conversation, um, things that we didn't get a chance to go into today. And you can go to www.divorceuniversityonline.com forward slash episode seven, the word episode number seven. Um, that is our episode for today. And as always, we thank you for joining us. And thank you. We we'll see you next time. See you in episode eight. Thank you for listening to the Divorce University online podcast with your hosts, Thomas and Tammy Ferreira. For more information, visit www.divorceuniversityonline.com.